last week on Don't That Chat. So, mateys, that, that's it. <laughs> Welcome to part two of 32 Fabulous Years of 1987, a list that seemed a really good idea in my head. Ladies <laughs> and gentlemen, Don't Let's Chat. I'm Ben Baker. And I'm still Phil Catterall. I, I won't stop. Non-stop Phil Catterall. <laughs> He's a gas top for the 90s. <laughs> yeah. So, without any further ado, we'll, we stopped for some reason at 24 because numbers. <laughs> so, we'll crack on with the 23rd best thing about 1987 as voted for by you on Twitter. Pound puppies. Poor little pound puppies. They had no one to love them. Pound puppy, you were sad and lonely. What you home now? You're my one and only. Pound puppy, you're my one and only puppy love. Pound puppies are so cuddly um, soft they feel real. I, I didn't understand. So I, I had like a toy stuffed not stuffed dog was it a live dog you answer no no well I had one of those as well um, that I had, it was called Bonzo it was great good dog name good dog solid dog name yeah pound puppies didn't really do anything for me <laughs> or, or for anyone that I knew I mean it was definitely one of the big toys in 87 it had been yeah. around for a few years at that point you actually yeah. launched in 1984 but there was a cartoon series and can you guess who made that cartoon series Phil was it Hanna-Barbera Ben it was Hanna-Barbera who was clearly doing their quality work Working 1987, or whatever it was, one series, 13 episodes. And, and best still, there was a film the following year, Pound Puppies and the Legend of Big Paw, which has been described at IMDb as confusing. <laughs> at 22. At 22, The Last Resort with Jonathan Ross. I uh, see this is one for me. I I know it, but I don't really know. It was slightly before I was allowed to stop up, and indeed, I wouldn't have been allowed to stop up when it first started because it was on a half twelve. I mean, it was called the last resort because it was literally the last thing on. Yes, because television used to stop. Yes, yeah, and it was on after a black and white James Mason movie, the first one, and I think I think it was maybe eight weeks, and then it had a little break, and then they bumped it up to half ten. But by the end of like nineteen eighty seven, Jonathan Ross was a household name. He was. Hello, my name's Ben Elton. It's amazing what a shave and a decent suit can do for you, isn't it? I'd like to tell you about The Last Resort, which is due back Friday nights on Channel 4 very soon. Watch it. And also, of course, he phoned up Andrew Sachs and said... No. Pubes! Good. Oh, speaking of a bit of filth, 21. Big Black, songs about... I can't read this third word, Ben. Does it sound like hooking? That's the one. Oh. You like your kind of hardcore punk and stuff like that. People do say Big Black are one of the definitive acts of the era. Uh, they only released two albums properly. This was the second one, I believe. And Steve Albini went on to be a very big name producer. Uh, he did In Utero for Nirvana, uh, Surfer Rosa for the Pixies, uh, Sea Monsters, The Wedding Present, and loads of stuff. He's still doing stuff. But for a social experiment, I, mean, I asked Phil to listen to songs about... <coughs> uh, and, and here is his exclusive album report... Rubbish. <laughs> I, I found it so tedious. Oh, man. For, for something that's got such a, a high BPM on it, it was just... Oh. <laughs> it's just the same. It's all the same all the way through. I'm old, all right? I'm definitely old. 
So sorry, the views of Extreme Catterall are not necessarily <laughs> shared with the rest of the team. Twenty. Uh, Withnell and I. Perfumed pants. We're in danger. We've got to get out. What are you talking about? I've been called a pons. What fucker said that? I called him a pons. And now I'm calling you one. Pons! I have a heart condition. If you hit me, it's murder. I'll murder the Perius! My wife is having baby. It's it's a it's a slow boil cult hit one, isn't it? Rather than yeah. A... Uh, and did you know? As a trivia fact, the I of the title, his actual name is Ian I. No, it's not. Sorry, it's Adam I from <laughs> Live and Kicking. His his name is the Eighth Doctor, and that's an end to it. <laughs> Funny film. Uh, you should watch it. Yeah, I can't imagine they had the cast of Withdrawal and I on number nineteen. <laughs> God, oh, that would have been brilliant. No, number 19 is Going Live. Every Saturday morning in the 80s, or the late 80s, certainly, my parents would like to get their Saturday shopping done in before anyone else. Yep. So we had to leave the house at, at like, 8 or 5 to 8 right. for Morrison's store at 8 o'clock. So I'd literally been racing around there so we could get back for Going Live. <laughs> Even though it was like another Saturday morning magazine show. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if you were the same. I'm sure you were watching Saturday Bum Bluff on ITV or whatever. Go in! Go in! Go in live! Just felt a bit cooler. I mean, it couldn't not feel cooler than Saturday Superstore because there was no sodding Mike Reed. <laughs> Pulling his guitar out every five minutes and saying, Where's Chevy Chase? Let's have a song. It's not fair, Ben. It's not sodding Mike Reed. It's Mike sodding Reed. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. I forgot his jingles went like <laughs> <laughs> Oh, crap. It's Mike Reed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fing hell. It's that cunt Mike Reed. <laughs> I believe them, obviously. <laughs> I mean, I, I watched. I'd, I'd, I'd flick between the two depending on what was happening on them. Yeah, it's a band that I'm not interested in. Let's see which band I'm not interested in on the other channel. <laughs> a band that definitely would have featured a lot on Going Live is number 18. Number 18, uh, Wet, Wet, Wet. Phil! What? How does Marty Pello like his rice? <sighs> I don't know, Ben. He's not bothered. He don't. He don't. He's more of a Chinese. The joke is Pei Lao. You see, about Pei right. Lao. But when we told it in the last decade, it was heroin. <laughs> because yeah, that that was the original version of that joke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because of all the people you would never assume would become heroin addicts, he's, he's Marty Pello. Yeah. Uh, but before all that, the wet 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 were huge in eighty six. Wet 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 at our price. Wet 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 voted Best British Newcomer in the British Record Industry Awards with three hit singles from their number one album, Hot In, Sold Out. It's clearly a winner at over 190 Our Price Record Shops. My dad loved them, so just constantly on when it's played. Uh, and he'd, he'd, he'd request them at family discos and stuff and do that kind of dancing where there's no movement, like, below the waist. No, no. It's, it's all it's... the arms, it's all the... It's all scrunching the hands up, scrunching the eyes together, and really feeling the soul, man. You, know? you have described how I dance, so good. Thanks <laughs> for that. Do you feel wet, wet, wet due a revival in some respect? I'd rather not, if that's all right with everyone. Um, I'm not the biggest fan. But, but is that because of what came after? It, almost certainly. 
I mean, yeah. that song reached the point where they were sick of it, so... And, and of course, they had a double A-side uh, number one with Billy Bragg. <laughs> of course they did. You did, they did. There was I a, believe a, you. Sergeant Pepper knew my father. This is more just a general resignedness, of course they did. <laughs> Billy Bragg not featuring in this list, sadly. Or Corbin. <laughs> but uh, maybe both of them experienced number 17. Yeah, number 17, the 1987 hurricane. Earlier on today, apparently a woman rang the BBC and said she heard that there was a hurricane on the way. Well, if you're watching, don't worry, there isn't. But having said that, actually, the weather will become very windy. So, yeah, there was a lot of people going, oh, yeah, that was one of my favourite moments in, like, what, some wind? (laughs) I think it's more that just people remembered it because it was a big thing. It's how Gordon Kay got that scar on his forehead, Ben. Come on, don't... Don't forget. So it happened the 15th to 16th of October 1987. And in London, uh, they had to shut the stock market, which is, they never shut the stock market. No. So, and that was Black Monday. Yay. Death to capitalism. Uh, number 16, capitalism. <laughs> That's popular as it used to be. There was a lot of that in 1987. No. Uh, Little Shop of Horrors. Yes. This is one of my three. To be fair, I am a huge fan of Little Shop of Horrors. Uh, in fact, I have genuinely always wanted to play Seymour. I think you could carry it off. I, what, because I'm a specky tit? Yeah. Yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, up to 15. Uh, 15, uh, Wax Bridge to Your Heart. I don't know what this is, Ben. I have no idea what this is. Bricks your heart by one. I really don't. Oh, this this was really popular in the vaults for some reason. I'm not quite so why in particular, but yeah, good song. A duo of Andrew Gold, who uh, was kind of popular in the late seventies. Uh, uh, he did the brilliant "Oh What a Lonely Boy" and "Never Let a Slip Away," which of course goes, "I talk to my baby on the telephone long distance." Ding dong, Hong Kong. Uh, and he joined in with 10cc's Graham Goldman. So got Golden Goldman. This was their only uh, actual hit. Okay. Got to number 12. The story goes that Goldman in 1983 persuaded Gold to visit him at his home in Mottram, St Andrew, and ended up staying for seven months. So that rollout bed would be knackered. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> Maybe uh, the music of Wax appeared in 14. <laughs> no, no, it did not. Um, 14 is Predator, which technically in the UK was 1st January 1988. That would have been a good New Year's Day trip out, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Let's all go see Predator. I hear Shane Black's script is fine. <laughs> Six and a half months. Better wait for Predator. That is a crime. I have been ringing up Esther Hansen for weeks. <laughs> and we, we talked last time about films that you saw on ITV but cut to ribbons. Definitely this was one that I initially saw. Over the news. The news at 10 had been in the yes. middle. And it, it pans up the tree to where you're supposed to see the skinned bodies of the, the unit that came before Arnie's one. Uh, and it would stop just before it got to any of the bodies. So it's like, what? What was up the tree? I don't know. It's a monkey. It's a shaky monkey. And it does fit quite well with 13 as well for mindless action. Okay. Um, 13 is Thundercats. I'm not saying it's as good as Thundercats, obviously. I mean, Th- Thundercats is, is a very, very odd cartoon where the main character is like a kid but who aged in cryo sleep and is now has the body of an adult but is actually very much still a child. And 
all the stuff they encounter on Earth, which it turns out is our Earth, but in the future after massive environmental disasters and stuff. And it's very odd. I don't remember any of that. I used to watch it every week. I had a Sword of Omens I loved. Uh, me and my friend uh, Lee Ishwood, uh, who lived down the road, used to have Sword of Omens and used to light up you know, the little thing. And John Foster, who lived down the road, had one as well. But we didn't like him, so he put his in dog shit. <laughs> uh, and then and then didn't tell him. So, you know. Oh, you were an awful human being. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this was on for eight months in 1987 and still didn't get to the end of series one, <laughs> which was 65 episodes long. That's yeah, uh, stuff made for syndication, isn't it? It just yeah. uh, runs and runs. Number 12. Number 12, and it's a crime that this is not higher. It's sort of a tie, but it's not really... Uh, it's Timothy Dalton and The Living Daylights. Is that a ska band? Shut up. I did a little Bond chart on the Twitter feed, and I put this as, as the best Bond film, which it is, obviously, and it should have been higher up. I don't care enough about James Bond. <laughs> uh, Dalton Dalton was, was should have had more films, in my opinion, but then again, you see what his second film was like and think, if a third film was going to be like that, then I'm, I'm fine. I'm not bothered. <laughs> there are people who like Licence to Kill, I understand, but it's not very good it's a 15 does he say bloody bugger in it no i think it's mostly that you know um felix like gets his legs eaten and things like that cool that's what the kids were screaming out for more of well it's 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 a 90s revenge film rather than a bond film so you know but living daylights is is a is a proper bond film bond bond's got a mission uh he does the mission uh, and things happen as a result, and that—that's what it is. And Jerome Crabbe's the bad guy. Well, he's one of the bad guys. There's about six bad guys in this one. The plot's a bit confusing. There's something about diamonds. Art Malik's there, and he's a Taliban. But don't worry, don't don't focus on that. We didn't know then. Different different times. <laughs> I think I think it was like this and Rambo Three. Both are like, yeah, cheers, Taliban. You're doing sterling work. Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. Different times. Turns out that geopolitics is quite complicated and you shouldn't muck around with it. Who knew? Speaking of politics, number 11. Uh, the New Statesman. I mean, we hear an awful lot of lefty whinging about the NHS waiting lists. Well, the answer's simple. Shut down the health service. The result? No more waiting lists. You see, in the good old days, you were poor, you got ill, and you died. <laughs> and, yet, and yet these days people seem to think they have some God-given right to be cured. So Sunday's at 10pm thing, uh, and I've been researching that subject recently, so I've been re-watching all the new states, and it more or less holds up. It's a central character which really could only be played by Rick Mail because he's got no redeeming qualities at all, and yet you strangely find yourself cheering him on. Uh, as a morally bankrupt Tory, basically. <laughs> it's like, uh, what, watching it in the modern climate is odd. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I yeah. do I do remember him being basically utterly repellent, and it's only because Rick Mayle has that degree of charisma that he can get away with it. about time for the quiz section of the uh, podcast and there's certain names that you'd hear all the time in the 80s weren't there Noel Edmonds you know Glenn Medeiros ta- no TV stars <laughs> he was on telly alright Tarby Little Elargy <laughs> um, <laughs> Nicholas E. Witchley you know all, all the favourites but there were no more prevalent TV stars in 1987 than Terry Waite 
Now, I, I, I don't know why he was on telly so much, but then I, 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 some on Wikipedia, but with so many words. There was a good reason, yeah. For a bit of holiday fun, it's, I've stuck him in 10 programmes from 1987 and I replaced certain words with Terry Waite. And right. you have to tell me what the replaced words are. God. It's a, bit of, it's a bit of holiday fun. It's 87. It's fun. It's fun. Yeah, no. Number one. An old favourite returns to TV after a decade-long break as Terry Waite says opportunity knocks. <laughs> now, what do you think I've changed in that sentence? Is, is it Bob Monkhouse, Ben? It's just Bob. It's just Bob. That's fine. That's oh, sorry. Number two. The furry puppet alien from Melmac, Terry Waite, <laughs> first appeared on ITV this year. <sighs> I don't recall Terry Waite eating a lot of cats. Um, <laughs> Maybe that's why he was on the news. Could have been. Could have been why he was on the news, Ben. Alf, Ben. It was Alf. It was Alf, correct. Number three. An apparently inebriated Terry Waite appeared on Aspel and Company where he stumbled around and lurched around the set. Is it Oliver Reed, Ben? It was Oliver Reed. Four. BBC One debuts Terrying for Waite. A generalised quiz in which the winner gets to go to the 1988 Summer Olympics in Seoul. I don't know this one. Oh, hang on, it's going for gold, isn't it? It's going for it gold. It is, it's going for gold. Henry Kelly is a Henry Kelly. And do you know who won that first series of uh, Going for Gold? No. It was Daphne from Eggett's. Oh, the worst one. Five. Time Tease begins 24-hour broadcasting. It does so by launching a Terry Waite Finder service, which broadcasts until 6am. <laughs> God, he could have really done with that. Um, job finder. Yes, this is job finder, well done. Six, in front of 93,000 fans, Terry Waite retains a WWF heavyweight championship <laughs> at WrestleMania 3 against Andre the Giant. You've changed nothing there, that's what happened, I remember it well. No, is that, I see that's why he's famous. <laughs> is it Hulk Hogan, Ben? He was Hulk Hogan, yeah. well done. <laughs> Number seven, this... No... This is so stupid you can't say it. Just bear that in no, mind before you say it. Number seven. The sitcom, Terry Wick Waite, makes its debut on ITV, but is badly received by critics and cancelled after just two episodes. <laughs> Terry Wick Waite. This is, this is an incredibly targeted joke that you've just made. One, exactly one of our listeners is laughing uncontrollably at this point. You don't know that. Yes, I do. It's Hardwick House, Ben. It is Hardwick House. Well done. Eight. The BBC launched a new sitcom, The Terry Waite Show, about a well-meaning but trouble-prone pirate radio DJ named Talbot Waitkins. (laughs) 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 It's the Lenny Henry Show, Ben. Yes, it's the Lenny Henry Show. Well done. God. Nine, originally hosted by Jeremy Beadle, word-based game show, Chained to Terry's, <laughs> makes its debut. You know he knows God. We're going to hell for this. You know that. <laughs> I don't believe in Terry Wade. It's chain letters, Ben. It's chain letters. It is chain letters. And number ten, the final one. Sylvester McCoy becomes the seventh actor to play Terry Wade, <laughs> making his full appearance in the role in the serial Terry and the Waitie. <laughs> Oh, well, that's not fair. You've, you've changed stuff twice there. 
is what, what are the that that is, that is that is Doctor Who and that is Time and the Rani. It is, is well done. done well done. That concludes Terry on the Telly, <laughs> and that links us very nicely into number ten. Doctor Who. Uh, what is has been on a while. <laughs> Who knew? We had a bit of a spread of votes for this one. Yeah, nobody voted for the same episode. <laughs> yeah, so we were, we were on season twenty four at this point, and it was season. All right. All right. Yeah, it's Sylvester McCoy's first one. Um, but we had votes for three out of the four serials. Uh, I took a look at those votes, I tallied them up, and then I threw those votes in the bin because some of those votes were for Time and the Rani, which is garbage. <laughs> so the, or- the order that I'm going to put them in, going from worst to best, and it- it's tough at the-, the bottom end of this, I'll be honest, because they're both bad, uh, but I personally find Time and the Rani to be completely unwatchable. Um, I've tried. Uh, There's only two Doctor Who serials that I've never managed to watch more than once. Time and the Rani is one. The other one is The Twin Dilemma. So you hate regeneration episodes? I hate those regeneration episodes. (laughs) I'm fine with Castrovalva. Time and the Rani is the one where basically Colin Baker said, no, I'm not coming back. Quite understandably. Yeah, understandably. And Sylvester McCoy in a big curly wig that doesn't fit him. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Regenerated into much cheaper actors. (laughs) Number three, uh, Dragonfire, which I have more fondness for because for whatever reason I'd taped that one and watched it a lot more. It is the one that features a literal cliffhanger that makes no sense. (laughs) It does. But it does. It introduces Ace, who is the best companion, and removes Mel, who was not a good companion. I don't even dislike Bonnie no. Langford. It's just Melly's. No, Bonnie Langford's fine, but Mel Bush is a terrible character because yeah. it's just that they just went back to. Can we have someone who falls over a lot and screams? Yeah, and says what that. Can we get someone that is literally famous for screaming? Yeah, and then <laughs> second. I'm going to put Delta and the Bannermen. Again, has elements that don't need to be there and make no sense, like the two American agents that are just just there. They don't seem to do anything. No, it's basically a weird seaside... It's 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 very odd, but it, but it feels like proper Doctor Who, so I'm broadly okay with it. Which means number one is... Is Paradise Towers, which is great, and I will brook no argument. It is great. You can't, when you've got an effectively Nazi Richard Briars... Yep. Uh, controlling a tower block full of cannibals and girl gangs. I think he's very Judge Dredd uh, influenced as well. It very much is, yeah. Uh, Which is a good thing. Yeah, if it it has a flaw, it's the overly long sequences of robots driving down a corridor while Kev McCulloch hammers at his keyboard. That is... (laughs) Nothing ventured. Nothing gained. You should rather get the crime off. Crap. Oh, no, not you again. You've too many things to work out. You really aren't helping. What do you want anyway? What is my death? Finn Camley. Okay, nine. Uh, number nine. Keith Houchins' header FA Cup final. Again. Right. Do you know what this is? Well, I know, I know it's football, and I know what a well, header go- is. Go- go- Google it now. Because I didn't know, and then I Google it, and I, I was like... Good, it's good header. It's, it's, it's good header. So I'm going to listen to you watching it in real time. Okay. Uh, it was a Coventry City three, Tottenham Hotspur two. Gary Mabbott scored twice. The second time, unfortunately, an own goal. Okay. <laughs> extra time. Right. Okay. So he's someone's kicked a ball. He's headed the ball. It's gone in the goal. Yes. 
That is a goal. He's quite good. He's basically sideways. Yeah, no. I, I, I appreciate that. Um, good, good work to... Let me just check the notes. Keith. <laughs> At number eight, it's Mel and Kim. But they had two top ten hits in uh, 1987. Uh, respectable and yep. FLM. Do you remember Indeed. what FLM stood for? It's fun, love, and money. Not fun, love, and monotony, as hilarious Tony Hawk said it was. Don't say it like that. It's, it is hilarious when he does it. On it is hilarious story. to be fair. We don't care what girl sings our lines, just as long as she is delectable. And you may say our success is a crime, but it I think there's one of those BBC4 documents that are constantly being repeated. Pete Waterman said it actually stood for one of the phrases the girls said a lot in the studio, which was, fucking lovely, mate. Right. They were just fun. Yeah. Number seven. Number seven, Blackadder the third. So I think is my favourite Blackadder of the of the four. Is is this the Georgian one? Yes, this is uh, Prince Regent, yeah. uh, played by Hugh Laurie. Yeah. I think my favourite is Ink and Incapability, which is uh, Robbie Coltrane and Samuel Johnson, a big brute who's obviously written his dictionary. dictionary. <laughs> Baldrick yeah. accidentally burns uh, <laughs> the only copy of, and so Blackhead has to basically write an entire dictionary overnight. Nope, didn't catch any of that. <laughs> well, I simply observed, sir, that I'm felicitous. Since during the course of the penultimate solar sojourn, I terminated my uninterrupted categorisation of the vocabulary of our post-Norman tongue. <laughs> oh, I don't know what you're talking about, but it sounds damn saucy, you lucky thing. I know some fairly liberal-minded girls, but I've never penultimated any of them in that solo sojourn. If that might have been given any Norman tongue. <laughs> it's also got the best end music. I like Blackadder 2 a lot, but it's been played too much. Yeah, that's that's fair. So yeah, for me, Blackadder 3 is the only one I could watch quite happily by choice. No, that's fair. Which I can't say for number six. <laughs> number six. Superman 4. The quest for script. <laughs> the only superhero film that's got Clive Mantle in it. <laughs> Yet. He's not going to come back as Captain America, mate. Oh. It's not. <laughs> so, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why Superman 4 isn't good. It's another film by Canon, yeah. who would this company, if you'd never heard of her, basically, just seem to, like, announce thousands of films a year yep. and make about 30 a year and... Some of them hit, some of them didn't. Well, they, they were kind of like the ocean software of, of filmmaking. Where it's like, We've grabbed a licence, now make it quick and cheap. Well, now I have to report that Superman 4 opens in Britain on July the 24th. You may recall that after Superman 3, Christopher Reeve declared vehemently that never again would he even be seen dead in the famous Super Knickers. But the whirly gig of time, to say nothing of the whirly gig of money, brings in its revenges, and Mr Reeve, as firmly benickered and betighted as ever, is now obliged to eat his words and explain why, despite all he said, he's back in the old routine. Film 87 joined all the super persons on location in exotic Milton Keynes to learn why Mr Reeve had changed his mind. Uh, they got Gene Hackman back, as Lex Luthor, where he creates an evil soul-powered version of Superman called Nuclear Man. Yes. Nuclear Man. And apparently it's got 11% on Rotten Tomatoes. Fully deserved. <laughs> Five! Five. Uh, nightmare. Okay. Nightmare. I mean, yeah, one of those things. It went on for quite a long time, until 94. Something like that. A rare production from Anglia mm. as well. Uh, how would you describe it to someone who's never seen it? Um, a kid with a helmet on, so he can't see the fact that he's in a green warehouse, <laughs> is sent into a green warehouse 
where stuff is chroma keyed onto the green warehouse so it's like he's having an adventure in a dungeon and three of his mates shout confusing directions at him that he <laughs> fails to follow that is there, there were there were girls as well i watched it every single time it was on i watched it constantly whenever i had the opportunity mm. it's not good it's not very good. Ooh, that's contrary. I liked it, but I don't know if it'd stand up now. The life force thing used to frighten me. So yes. It changed mid-series, but they used to originally have just basically a face, and then slowly the skin would come off. Uh, the more to death you were, it become a skeleton. And yeah. mm, You had to find some, some food and put it in the knapsack, otherwise yeah. you died. Tell, tell it was different then. <laughs> it, it was. I say it's not held up well. It has a special nostalgic place for me, and they've they've revived it a couple of times since, haven't they? They do Nightmare Live at things, and <clears throat> some things are best left in 1987. For example, number four. <laughs> Kim Appleby from Melon Kim, Dave Stewart from Eurythmics, and Siobhan from Bananarama. There are also items on pirate television, sexual offences, Peter Holm, plastic surgery, and also live coverage of the marriage of an Italian couple. It's time now to hand over to Network 7. No, I have very dim memories of Network 7. Did you ever, did you ever watch it? So, was Network 7 the thing that, that Dick Spanner was broadcast as part yes. of? Yes. Yes, so yes, that's what I remember of Network 7, because it was a cartoon, so I watched it. It was kind of a mini TV station within a TV station, as right. Channel 4. And it was fast, and they kind of uh, flashed up facts and stuff on the screen. And uh, they used to have all these little segments in it. Was it the first, like, Planet 24 thing? Am I? Uh, Charlie Parsons worked on it, went on to form Planet 24. I thought there was a link. Yes, it was, it was created by Jane Hewland and Down Street Porter. Right. And, yeah, it's, it's very sort of of its time. It really is. The, it's almost like Max Headroom, that kind of, like, 20 minutes into the future kind of hip and cool, and the thing with anything which is hip and cool, one minute it looks bloody awful next. Okay. I mean, there's there's one very famous episode of it, which, if anyone remembers it, a, a guy on death row was featured on a live uh, satellite link-up uh, accused of murdering his girlfriend, and they asked viewers to vote whether he should live or die. Okay, I mean, that presumably wasn't legally binding. Um, no, no. It's not like when DC were trying to decide whether to kill off Robin or not, is it? It's not. <laughs> but it had the same result. 55% favoured death. Uh, which the bloke was told okay. on there, and it was like, oh, great. And he was eventually executed in June 1988. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, that's very day-to-day, isn't it? If you'd see the day-to-day and Network 7, there is a lot of influence, I think, taken. Technology! Giant Street Portal went on porch to do Def 2 the following year uh, mm. for BBC 2. I remember Def 2. It had things on it that I watched. It had the Fresh Prince of Belair on it, always. <laughs> At 3! Mars, pump up the volume. Uh, it was a collaboration between two acts on the indie label 4AD. Colourbox, who were sort of electronic, sort of dancey stuff, and an alt-rockers AR Kane. And they basically said, oh, why don't you have a go at doing something together? And neither had a hit at any point. So Mars, which is an acronym of the members of it, Martin, Alex, Rudy, Russell and Steve. I did remember that off the top of my head, honestly. I haven't got it written down. Uh, so they put them in the studio together and said, go on, make, make a hit. And they hated each other. <laughs> each other. So they basically recorded one each. 
and then kind of worked on it afterwards. So it's a double A side with Annie Tina, the first time I see she danced, but no one played that. That was the arcade track with drum programming from World of Colourbox. First pump up the volume was Martin Young from Colourbox. He made it out of samples and he got some people in to do some scratching and stuff on it and use some of AR Kane's guitars. And basically it's a Colourbox song. Okay. So, fairly enough, Colourbox said, well, we are effectively Mars. Can we be Mars? And AR Kane said, sure, give us £100,000. <laughs> And that's why Mars is a one-hit wonder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Colourbox are good. Uh, their World Cup uh, theme is brilliant. So yeah, pump up the volume. A one-hit wonder for a very good reason. <laughs> Number two. Number two. Uh, <gasps> filthy Rich and Cat Flat. The Nolan Sisters. My all-time favourite four-tissue fantasy. <laughs> They're in the mood for Richie, who's not titchy, but particularly well-endowed. <laughs> so, so I've not seen this. This is this is basically your sort of your young one's next thing, right? That's that's basically. Have you really never seen it? Genuinely, never seen it. Fantastic. Okay. See, the thing is, it's written by Ben Elton alone. He was obsessed with showbiz right. at the time, you know, like, and certainly with the young ones taking off he was dealing in more show busy circles and doing work and stuff right so he, he wrote this really really savage send-up of like entertainment so filthy is ralph filthy that's nigel planer right. who's playing this horrible agent character who is the most not neil it's possible to be okay rick is fairly rick i mean he's richie rich who is a talentless star right. who's basically most famous for doing links on like tvs uh, and Ed plays Eddie Catflap, who is his minder. And the Richie and Eddie, it sounds familiar, Yeah, is very, very influential on what came next. Okay. It's so much fun. And there's an episode in it, got a, a fake game show in it called Ua Sounds a Bit Rude. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, everybody's favourite mother-in-law, Molly Slocum. Ooh, you're so lovely. I'd like to show you all my bossy. <laughs> In fact, I don't think of anything nicer than having you all stroking me pussy. Oh, for God's sake, lad, don't milk it. That's the third time you've done that gag. And he used to do it every ep of that appalling sitcom you used to do. <laughs> Uh, but it was a very popular one and only beaten by what we've got at number one. Ba -ba -ba! The best thing from Nice 87 as voted for by you. Okay, right. So you, you've written down here Alf. And I'm pretty sure that's not what won. I mean, Alf was brilliant. Uh, there was votes for Alf singles, It's a Sin. Uh, what have I done to deserve this? Uh, the song couldn't happen here. Yeah, no, you've... What? what? What you've done is you've crossed out Pet Shop Boys and written Alf. Same thing. You? So Pet Shop Boys have won. Basically same thing. They're very much not. All right, it's the Pet Shop Boys. I'm Fine. really confused because you I really mean, like the Pet Shop Boys, so I don't know why you crossed them out and write Alf. But I love Alf! <laughs> Don't make me choose! You didn't have to choose. Um, no one voted for Alf. No one voted for Alf, it's true. But lots of people voted for uh, Pet Shop Boys, lots of different things. And so we combined them into ones. They were far and away the winners. And it is true when you watch the old Top of the Pops repeats, it's like, thank Christ someone invited the Pet Shop Boys. <laughs> I like all the nonsense and all the hair metal and one-hit wonders and stuff, but at the end of the day, the Pet Shop Boys are brilliant and right. 
solid pop songs that everyone liked. Yeah. And uh, I think that is as good as it gets, really. Yes, it's the duo who bought you the worldwide million-seller West End Girls and followed up last year with Love Comes Quickly, Opportunities and Suburbia. This year, it's a sin, a worldwide number one. What have I done to deserve this with the 60s soul singer Dusty Springfield? Rent, premiered at the London Palladium before millions of British TV viewers. All these three singles are on the LP along with Heart, Hit Music, One And they did, I mean, I'd say the wheels didn't fall off. And even now they record some brilliant stuff. They are continually nailing the wheels back on, I would say. (laughs) There you go, lads, if you need a a, a title for your next album. (laughs) Nailing the wheels back on by the Pet Shop Boys. (laughs) Brackets, wheels don't work if you nail them. Close brackets. Featuring up. (laughs) Yo, Kate, where do you keep your casserole dishes? Why? The cat won't fit in the toaster. (laughs) And that's it. The Pet Shop Boys are the most popular thing from 1987, as voted for by you in this two-part spectacular. Not just the most popular, Ben. They are are the best thing from 1987. That is now scientifically proven. If you would like more of this and you'd like to contribute to it, we have a Patreon. And we have a Kofi. Uh, you can find them on our webpage at benbergerbooks.org or on Twitter at uh, Don't Let's Chat. Or just, just share the podcast with people. Oh, um, if you just share, honestly, it's just we just want people to hear it. And especially if you've voted yeah. for this, hopefully you've heard it and really enjoyed this back. Because uh, it has been a, a bigger thing than we was anticipated. But frankly, we'd, we'd probably keep doing this even if no one was listening, to be honest. Because I enjoy it. Um, thank you very much to everyone that, that sent suggestions in as well. Yeah, um, really, really really appreciate it uh, and until next time I've been Terry Waite and I've been the first series of Nightmare <laughs> goodbye bye side step to your right walk forward escape your captors get your flask <laughs> spell casting E-S-C-A-P-E oh it's not worked until 1991 <laughs> well a woman's rung up to say there's, there's a hurricane coming Ah, check on! <laughs> I believe this exact uh, phrase. That is exactly how he said it.